The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome on to our weekly Dunked On Live here. And awesome to have some people already in our space here on Twitter Space Provider. We do this at 6 or 3 Pacific every week. And also you can catch me and John Hollinger doing the same thing at 11 Pacific on Wednesdays. Let's get right to it here. We get some of these requests in and Chris is already in. Chris, you're number one today. Oh, Chris. All right. I, I do miss the uh, the Simpsons avatar, though, of Bart driving the Ferrari. But uh, uh, we'll uh maybe you can change your avatar for us next time but that would really warm my heart to that my mug you know since it is twitter <laughs> but yeah there is a hole in my heart there was a spotify green room shaped hole in my heart from uh <laughs> leftover from your chats um so usually i would ask you guys a sixers related question um my heart is too broken for that right now given everything that's going on in that team so, on a lighter note, I wanted to ask you guys, what are your favorite City Edition jerseys that just came out? Obviously, I think the Sixers are great, um, but I wanted to wanted to hear your thoughts on which ones you like the most. All right, I'm going to have to take a look at these here. I, I haven't got, I've seen them on my phone, but I haven't actually been able to see them in like full size on my computer. So, I'm, you know, I'm just disappointed that they can't keep the good ones. Like, why do they have to change it? Every, why can't they keep the ones that are actually good? Like Miami Vice, not existing. Well, I, I, I think the Miami ones are Terrible. Yeah, I, I think that I think that technically they are allowed to. However, I mean, there are some teams that should shift. I mean, that should shift these to be, or at least the, some of the ones that have existed in the past to primaries. Like that's, I mean, the Jazz. And I, I, so here's one I'll say. I think that the Clippers. I would like to see the Clippers go back to the San Diego style ones, like the city ones, as their permanents. Like I think it's a better. I think it's a. First of all, the color palette is a little bit different than a lot of teams, which I think is cool. And if they're going to keep the Clippers, you might as well do the San Diego coloring. I think that'd be kind of cool. And then I've the. Valley Suns jerseys are like that's one of my that's one of my absolute favorites I I think that the other one um I'm nostalgic a little bit even though it was before my time mostly because of NBA Jam I'm nostalgic for that era of Nets jersey so like the Drazen Petrovic era so I think that those look nice you know and I have this idea I've talked about this a lot before that I'm of the belief that just about every NBA team and the exceptions are the teams you would think of every NBA team has a better jersey in their past and I wish that they could loosen up the rules so that they could go to not a modified version of that, kind of like the Warriors have done with their old city jerseys with the logo, but just like go back pretty much more purely to a version of those. I wish that those, because as I understand it, it's partially rules like licensing issue. They should be able to fix that. Yeah, Luis, I'm looking for this Philly one here. Am I not? It's, it's, a, it's a nice ode to the spectrum. It's it's a nice like darkish blue. It's great. Oh, I see it. I see it. Yeah, but it's also got like some rainbow stuff inside. Yeah. Also, also Memphis should be able to use was that the memphis hustle that was a league a team in a different league correct but those are awesome uh that was that was no it was uh aba the memphis sound yes 
Memphis Sound, that's right. Like those, yeah. some of those jerseys are just spectacular. Yeah, I do those, really those, enjoy the Hawks ones as well. Yeah, I'm not as yellow to me as Osage. Uh, like the, it kind of, I'm not a huge fan of, of that one. Um, and and, uh, and like having grown up in the '90s when they kind of went from classic design to the really garish '90s, like those Hawks '90s or the Grizz Raptors. I'm, those are almost just like so bad it's good. But I've never been someone who appreciated so bad it's good. I've always, I'm like usually just so bad that it's bad. I don't like I don't appreciate things ironically so I don't I, I'm not a huge huge uh, 90s style that um, Hawks would kind of harken back to that one other addendum um I don't love the OKC all-white jerseys. However, OKC, in my opinion, has never had a good jersey. So this is a worthy, it's a worthy addition relative to their other ones. Um, which, what are the worst ones you guys think? The Heat. I think the Heat are easily the worst one. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan. So a lot of these are have side paneling on them. Not a big side paneling. Um, the Magic thing. That, like, oh, the Cavs ones to me look like high school practice jerseys. Yeah, yeah. If you can't, yeah, if you, a, yeah. Um, I don't know. What were you saying, Danny? Did we lose Danny? No, I'm here. I was just saying that the Cavs ones looked like high school practice jerseys. Oh yeah, I, I don't mind those ones that much. I think the like the Spurs are weird. The Magic is the worst one. Like, why do they need to make themselves look like home? I don't really understand why they're parting from their own color. Um, all right. Well, thanks, for, thanks for that one, Chris. That's a, a good fun start. Um, yeah. And, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah. Good to hear from you again, Chris. And let's get to. Uh, Let's get to Khalil. Khalil, go ahead and, and unmute, and uh, let's hear what you got for us. Khalil, all right, you're you're still muted. Let's uh, let's bring in Jared instead here. Jared, hey guys, thanks for uh, taking my call and thanks for uh, uh, doing this every week. I really uh, uh, appreciate it. Um, I wanted to ask you guys about uh, the Jalen Smith decision from yesterday. Not so much uh, about Smith himself, but more about the idea of declining uh, third and fourth year options on rookie contracts. And granted, I, I completely understand and I get it that the NBA coaching staff and front office know far better about these players than I do and, and the access to the information that they have that that uh, uh, just a fan like me simply does not. But I've never understood why decisions like these are much more of an exception than than the rule. And I wanted to get your guys' input on that. I went back and looked at the 2020 draft class after reading about the decision and just looking at it, I listed 10 or 12 guys who I'd be actively trying to trade right now. And if I couldn't try and, or sorry, and if I couldn't trade them, then I'd be ready to decline their fourth year options in the summer. So I just wanted to get your your thoughts on the precedent. A, cu- a couple of different things that are I think are important. So one, the, the amount of times that a team is really on the margin, because remember, this is really about the marginal use of that money like so that could be relative to the luxury tax that could be relative to the salary cap you know whatever wherever things are and i mean i'm just writing writing a piece for the athletic about how few teams are going to have cap space and even though rookies the uh, rookie scale guys thankfully are getting paid more than they used to it's not that much money the other part of it is that restricted free agency is an incredibly valuable tool for somebody who's there and if you if the player isn't worth restricted free agency then you just don't make them a qualifying offer and, and you can walk away or you can even revoke it unless they sign it denzel valentine style so i, I think that while i agree with you I, I agree that they are too often picked up and some of that is because it is a big admission of failure which is is an important part of this that typically the individual or the front office that drafted a player is the one that is making this decision that makes it a lot harder you know like james jones is probably going to get some heat for 
for drafting a player and then it working out so poorly that the 30-year option was declined. So I think that it's a lot of times it's the practical like that those sorts of impacts that lead to it not happening but broadly speaking jared i agree with you i think it should happen more often yeah so i i think that i definitely am in agreement with you guys that there's not really a there are very few of these that the team comes back to regret um and you know there are a few that are a little surprising like yudoka as a bouquet for example but he also wasn't really healthy for his entire first year so i do think there is kind of an element also of just hey we haven't given this guy enough of a chance yet particularly after only one year on the third year option i think teams are more aggressive on the the fourth year option and you know we've seen a few like for example siku dimboya who uh who is uh is already out of the league you know there's a few of those by their third year at this point in time so uh and i think you know you mentioned the admission of failure but also there's just they believed in these guys to begin with that's why they're on the team and particularly for guys who are drafted pretty young there's an admission that there's kind of a project aspect to it or maybe just that another reason too honestly that you don't want to do it is it makes you look bad to agents and players when you're in the draft prospects so if you want to get guys medical for example if you just cut a guy after giving him one year that now is not necessarily a place that guys want to go in the draft which you know you can just draft them without the medical but it's always easier to have the cooperation so i would say that uh it is uh really i think it happens about the right amount of time maybe there's one or two every year and also a lot of these teams are just not up against the tax or something to where it's really going to matter that much cap space doesn't matter as much as it used to a lot of these teams are rebuilding so i i i'm not quite as strong on that uh, as as you are um jared if you want to uh unmute real quick you just had a little background noise uh but any further thoughts on that no i I was just gonna ask a a quick follow-up like you know i'm an old school baseball fan and i remember always hearing managers say like you got to get a guy 1500 abs before you before you can make a decision on him so i was just do you guys think a year is an is enough time to 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 know i mean i guess it's a summer league and a season and an off season i mean is that enough time do you think to make a decision on a guy I think it can be. I mean, it depends on what the shortcoming is. Is it that they're not, they're, they don't have the physical tools? Is it that they, you know, like sometimes it can be that they're not putting in the time in there and and really like appropriate because we're right after Halloween. The standard that I use here is kind of the haunting test. It's like, how how likely is it that letting this guy go will really like that that's going to be something like, oh, we could have had that guy and it's really bad for the franchise. And and more often than not, that doesn't happen. And when you Nate and I yesterday on the um, Dunked Up Prime pod, we went through the other lottery picks that have had their third year option decline it's you know Kendall Marshall Joe Alexander Patrick O'Brien and none of them like came I mean Alexander played in the NBA after that but none of them came to the point where it was like oh well they, they really regretted declining that option and that I think that to me is an indication that it doesn't happen enough all right thanks man it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015 and I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same 
And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix Sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us man i just love american giant just an amazing clothing company i was reminded again of how much i love it when i drove from california to montana over the all-star break and you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas you're like well i don't want to wear like my jacket in the car but then i get out to fill gas I'm going to be freezing, but the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us but jared let's get to sam now sam if you want to unmute let's uh let's get to it hey guys uh big fan um just sort of as the sample size is growing uh we can see some of the contenders and what their needs are um i'm kind of thinking what sort of wings that the good team should be targeting from the non-competitive teams for instance i was watching the rockets last night and i sort of think that swing piece for some of the title teams i'm just curious what sort of value you think the rockets would get back for a player like eric gordon and what sort of other players you'd be targeting if you're a contender thanks I really like Eric Gordon. I think um, and his strength, like especially if you're doing a switching system, and yeah, he's older than he was on those on those Prime Rockets teams, but what will be a sticking point for some 
and I think this would be a shame if it happens, is that Gordon, his contract is a fully guaranteed $19.6 million for next year. So I don't know that there's anybody like, I, 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 off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of a contender that has like a quote unquote worse contract there where, yeah, maybe Houston could get some value. But I mean, for Houston, Gordon, I like him. I think that he can make things easier for them in certain respects. But I, I don't know that it's going to take a lot to get Eric Gordon. It's going to take matching salary and it's going to take the willingness to pay his $20 million. And I would say that, you know, there are teams that he would help. I, for, I and One of the immediate ones that I thought of was the Lakers, but I brought up matching salary. Late, matching salary is exceedingly hard for the Lakers because they have basically this kind of stars and scrub structure where Taylor Horton Tucker is the only guy making more than $5 million and less than $35 million. So it would be very difficult for them to make something happen. Yeah, uh, I see what you're saying. But did anybody really think that PJ Tucker would go for, I believe, a one is what they gave up? Um, so I think. Well, that- oh, so so let me correct that. Actually, it was it was less than that. It was a pick swap to basically go. It was it was a pick swap that would enable the Bucks to trade it. But then they got Houston second back as well. So I think they ended up going down from like uh you know the Bucks were like twenty fourth. I think ended up being that pick. Yeah, it was twenty. Uh, they to- went twenty four to thirty one. Yeah. Yeah. So. So that that's a very some people might even prefer 31 in that circumstance um you know because they don't have to give out the guaranteed rookie deal though they did have to give up some value there but it was that was kind of a fake one that enabled them to say see we got a first round pick but it wasn't really a ton of value if you just look at what the value is given up on draft day to go down from something like 24 to 31 it'll usually just be another second round pick so that's in reality i think it was probably just a, a second round picks worth of value that they got for Tucker but but sorry sorry I interrupted you that I just wanted to clarify on that but if you want to continue your point uh go ahead yeah yeah um usually Twitter kind of makes to believe some other stuff that report about other people <laughs> it happens that's that's yeah. why Dunkton exists my friend <laughs> there you go but I just think kind of back to my original point I, I just kind of think that as the year goes along I think there's gonna be a lot of swing players with wings in particular that's going to come available uh so I think in the next 15 games or so trade talks are going to start hitting up I'm pretty excited for for it. And I think Eric Gordon's a really underrated player. I think he can really spread the floor, cleaning the glasses and shooting super well from especially like the non-corner threes this year, which can help a team, especially like the Lakers. So appreciate your guys' time. Uh, have a good rest of your day. Well, yeah, and we can we can expand on that a little bit first here with with some of the other ones as as well. Um, you know, there I think guy depending on what happens with the Pacers, guys like Justin Holiday, Tory Craig, maybe even T.J. Warren if he comes back. Although they might want to try and extend him, that that's an interesting one. Uh, you know, depending on what happens with Memphis, Kyle Anderson, who you know they haven't extended yet, he's an important part of what they're doing. But I don't know if he's in their long term plan. So that could be a potential thought as Kyle well. Anderson would be great on the Warriors. They can get him. Yeah, he would be interesting there to give him a little bit of isolation scoring and some passing and defense. A um, little bit worried about the lack of shooting there. Um, who who else should we be thinking? Of? You know, Josh Hart with the Pelicans is one. His his name is going to come up quite a bit with that unique. Uh, maybe McDermott. I don't know how how quickly they can trade him though. Yeah, he's not as as much of a guy. I think that a team would be looking at because he's just so weak defensively. Oh, oh Daniel, uh, Gary Daniel yeah. House too on the Rockets. Yeah, no, yeah, if he can ever uh, get healthy um you know there are some chemistry concerns uh, with him um gary harris and terrence ross with uh, orlando although those guys have some of the same issues as with eric gordon where maybe they're making a little bit too much money you know the conception of these trades a lot of times would be well okay so what you do is 
yeah, maybe this guy isn't worth the first round pick if we're trading him for an expiring contract. But if you're willing to take on a year or two of another guy who's worse than him, that's making worse salary, we'll do the deal. But because nobody's trying to clear cap space anymore, those deals are probably less likely than they might have been well, and, in the and past. That, and that ties in with something I wanted to talk about briefly, which is I think the play-in is going to have a lingering effect on on the trade deadline where a lot of these teams are close enough where it, they'll be like, oh, well, we can do that. So like, I don't know exactly yet which teams that's going to be, but if they're, you know, like you have a shot at 10th and you think that's worth it, not everybody will. Masai Ujiri last year famously is one of those. But so we could see a couple teams that Nate and I are going to be like, why aren't they selling? Like this came up with Sacramento and Harrison Barnes last year, where it's like, why aren't they, like, why aren't they making a move? And sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't. But I think we're going to see fewer sellers this year and that that could end up stalling the market a little bit. Do, do you like that? Me? No. <laughs> No, you, I, I mean, just well, because it, it, it ends yeah. up with too many players. It ends up with a lot of players that I like on teams that aren't particularly relevant. And like, yeah, I mean, so that that can sometimes lead to, you know, so like you're going to get these role players who are best, you know, as a small cog in a big machine that aren't that aren't available to the best teams. But I mean, that does lead to, you could argue, a more balanced. But the other potential wrinkle there is whether some of those guys get bought out instead of traded. And then that could end up being a market imbalance because those guys are going to more often go to the major markets and they're going to go to specific things and so like for example like i think the nets and the lakers are going to be very in demand for those like wing guys so if they get bought out instead of traded then they the the sales pitch for brooklyn and for the lakers is pretty easy yeah another sneaky sort of buyout team i think might be the bulls if they continue because they're so they need wings so bad and if their record keeps this magnitude i could really see a player like attracted to the new building of the bulls and everything and uh um, just how maybe playing with Lonzo, they'll get a ton of opportunities. So I think that could be a sneaky bio contender, actually. All right. Well, good to hear from you, Sam. Thanks for the good question here. And now let's bring in Rockets Realist. Rockets Realist, uh, you are in. How are you, man? Hey, guys. Um, yeah, luckily, I don't have another Rockets question. That would be weird to have two Rockets questions in a row <laughs> this year. But... Hey, we, we're, uh, we follow all 30 teams. We love them all entirely equally yes yes i yeah of course um no my question (laughs) is more about the draft actually and about evaluation so uh, i feel like you know in the current landscape the there's there's so much good uh, analysis out there from the media from other teams uh analytics stuff um so my question to you is if you guys were running a team how would you balance your own individual evaluations and your team's evaluations with kind of wisdom of crowds i feel like sometimes like maybe in the old days somebody might have a real edge in terms of evaluation but now i would worry if i had a really strong outlier opinion that uh maybe i should just trust the wisdom of the crowd so how would you guys uh, balance those things well good question there and i think there's wisdom of crowds outside the organization and also even inside the organization as well there are a lot of disagreements and people are uh you know i think you have to determine who you're going to trust inside the organization as well and how many of those voices are there and usually if you i think if you're doing things right in your organization you would have a diversity of of voices that hopefully would mirror the outside world to some degree so i think i would consider some of that stuff 
when it's relating to things that we don't have inside information on if it's something where hey we have a reason to believe like okay let's say we have an intel report you know that this guy really has some personal problems that hasn't really gotten out to many people things like that where i feel like we would have an edge then i would be less inclined to look at at the wisdom of crowds i mean i know there are tons of gms who call around to people i've even received a few of these calls uh, on prospects just to kind of shoot the shit and, and get a different perspective but uh, i think overall the place where i would also trust our evaluation is just on how well the player's skill set fits in to the nba and to our specific team uh particularly if it's if it's a guy maybe lower in the draft who you don't expect to have superstar potential uh, as opposed to because i think pretty much everyone can say here's what this guy is supposed to be here's what he's supposed to do and some guys I think we generally have a pretty good track record on this. You know, your Henry Ellison, Caleb Swanigan types, where it's just like, okay, like even if this guy is good at this, like that's just not a valuable skill set at this point in time. So that's one where I think I, I would be more trusting of our own evaluation but i think it, it would be something to consider but then you you ultimately would have to i mean I'll, I'll tell you what right like are you gonna be more pissed off at yourself because you acceded to everyone else's ideas or because you went with your own idea and that was wrong i think if you you're like man i knew this the whole time and i let myself get talked out of it i think you're gonna feel a lot dumber than if you're just uh than if you are the opposite so sorry sorry for that long answer did you have anything to add on that danny yeah a little bit and i think that so for the for whatever reason, the one that sticks in my mind is Jeremy Lin and how some of the, but you know, that was a very different era of analytics and how much people listen to them in front offices than modern day. And part of it was based, and I think that might have even been when he was a professional. I can't remember the exact line on when that was, where it's like, hey, this guy, who's, I think it was when he was at Harvard, that this guy, like he might be there. And what I think those sorts of things can do, I remember this, I've talked with with Kevin Pelton, you know, like with his model and everything else, is be like with Shangun actually, of like, okay, let's give this player an extended look and like see if we can figure out why this is the case and i think some of those outliers in one direction or another whether we're talking models or we're talking like maybe it's the wisdom of crowns kind of in the other way of like why is it that this guy who looks really good to me is lower on boards and then you can kind of piece that together but i think nate's last point about kind of the buck stopping here is is such an extremely important one which is that especially in terms of the public decisions the picks that are made and not made because remember all of the trades you negotiate most of those don't hit the public don't hit the public unless they are consummated so there aren't that many decision points that a general manager is really evaluated on in terms of or publicly or in some circumstances privately and so tethering my fate i'm a control freak i admit this openly tethering my fate to someone else if i disagree with that in some material way if it's like oh well you know like adam like maybe like adam morrison or something and, and i mean I, there are some that i've been wrong on dennis smith is a great example of that um that I would rather, if I'm go- if if I'm going to be defined by some high profile decisions, I would be feel personally so much more comfortable that they were my own. Okay, thanks guys. Yeah, that's interesting. I I, w- I think you could go the other way, right? Though too, if you sure. if you're reaching long, far enough, you're tethering a bad potential bad faith to yourself, right? Because it's like if you pick the guy that everyone says is the right pick, it's harder to get fired immediately. But if you pick, if you really reach for somebody that's way out there, like I'm thinking of uh, Hollinger having Shingun like third or fourth on his board this year, which is looking pretty smart right now. But or not maybe not smart to have that high, but he looks great. Um, and uh, but it's like if that didn't work out, you can get fired a lot more quickly so it's there's a lot of interesting things to consider anyway thank you guys for taking my question well Nate, uh, before, Danny, before, we, for, 
But uh, our, oh yeah, all right. I think we're both going to go the same place here. Yeah, which is um, the so there's a tweet as we've been talking from Shamstranya that, and I'll read it verbatim. Uh, the NBA Competition Committee today discussed the uptick in transition take fouls this season and encouraged the league office to develop a rule change that would eliminate incentive to utilize that tactic in the future. Well, the good news is we already know what the rule change can be. It just needs to be implemented. Well, yeah, that's the problem, right? We're two weeks into the season as of today, and <laughs> we're uh, we got a whole season to go here. I, I can't remember a rule being implemented during the season. I know Van Gundy was saying yesterday on Zach Lowe's podcast that he hoped that that would happen, but I I don't. I, can't I think that, I them. think they could do it. There isn't, as as I know it, there isn't much of a precedent. Yeah, and I think they also just not being able to train referees on this, particularly because it's something where some sort of a subjective determination is going to be involved. Now, maybe what they could do is just say any foul in the backcourt or any foul in the first X seconds of the shot clock uh, after a missed field goal or a turnover, that type of thing. You know, maybe you could just make it more objective that way. But generally, they want a chance to get the referees in there under under the hood uh, over during the offseason and train them up on it, and which they've done a good job on so far with the non-basketball moves. So I, I would be surprised if anything could be implemented this year, but it certainly has been a resounding outcry. I got to say that. I've been very impressed. And I, I, it's so funny, too. They they got to be like wondering at the league office, like we just fixed, you know, 98% of what's wrong. Well, I shouldn't say that. Maybe 90% of what's wrong. And now everyone's focusing on this. But that's really just the one thing that's left now at this point. They reduced the reviews at the end of the game as well, which I think has been good. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what ends up happening with this. I'm guessing not much, at least in the near term. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. Things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Okay, so let's uh, go to now. Let's get to Shellboy. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Hey, where where are you, by the way? Uh, Sacramento. So I have okay. Well, no, I I heard like some announcement happening over over the background. (laughs) My wife works from home, so ah, got you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Well, so so uh, what do you got for us here? Well, so uh, my rational brain as a Kings fan kind of is like watching De'Aaron Fox and hoping like maybe he's hurt a little bit and 
maybe the Kings fall way out of the playoff picture before yeah. the trade deadline and then actually see religion and like trade away some of these older pieces that aren't really as much on Fox's timeline. But at the same time, <laughs> we're three and three and my irrational fan brain is taking over. So talk me out of trading Deer and Fox for Ben Simmons and like whatever picks or whatever. Yeah, it's, you never want to be in that situation where you're hoping that a guy is injured because you, you want that to be the explanation for why he's playing so poorly as opposed to just that he hasn't been good. And yeah, I, I, I really wonder on that. I've, we've talked a little bit on the pod about he's had some kind of perplexing moments this year in addition to the fact that he's shooting poorly and hasn't been very good in the half court as well. I still think he's better than Ben Simmons. Uh, he's got a better contract than Ben Simmons as well, although it does go for one more year, but he, he also uh, is not at the, uh, I think Simmons, I can't remember if he's the 37% max, or like 27 and a half or something, but, but in, in any event, um, yeah, I just think he's not as good and he's harder to fit around. Fox, if he turns out to be good, can be much more of a piece. I, just, I think he's reasonable as a number one option where if he's going well, whereas Simmons is not necessarily. But, you know, it's only been six games, so we'll see. It is it is disappointing because so many other pieces on this team are playing well. If he were up to his normal standard, then I think there'd be more reason for optimism. Um, but I wanted to ask you about, about this. You mentioned the sort of a irrational Kings fan. Let's say they get the nine seed and lose in the play. And it's like, how much value does that have to you as a long suffering Kings fan? Uh, well, emphasis on the long suffering, but pers- <laughs> personally, not much for me. I think that a lot of other Kings fans would really enjoy just like a round in the playoffs. I think we would kind of go crazy and bust our cowbells. But for me personally, like it wouldn't do much for me. <laughs> Um, but I can't speak for a lot of other fans. I feel like a lot of the fans would be really excited. Yeah, you know, it is interesting. Now, I think the Kings have more young talent than the team I'm about to name here, but the Orlando Magic are an interesting analog where Dwight Howard leaves. They're in the wilderness for a while. All of a sudden, they have a couple of surprise playoff seasons in a row. All right, it's nice. You get some local pub. Uh, Vucevic is an all-star, and then oh wait, we're just going to lose 4-1 in the first round and there's not really much point in keeping this team together when that's the upside. And and we still, because that's the problem too, right? If you have a team where the upside is 500, if everything goes well, it's not going to go well every year. And then you'll kind of really be in that kind of 10 to 8 range in the draft. So that, that would be my thought on it too. I've never been a fan of a team that suffered that much uh I, I was a bulls fan from 98 or 99 to 2004 but uh, aside from that yeah it's uh i think it's pretty difficult i don't know any, any thoughts on that danny i you know i'm i'm sympathetic especially you know given given the choppiness of vex tenure i can understand the pressure to try to be good to be good now and one of the things that's interesting kind of thinking about you brought up the idea of seeing religion and trading their vets is that part of the reason i thought they should do something with harrison barnes was that i didn't know how he was going to you know how his value was going to hold because you know it's, you never know with these with these players how it's going to go. and he's been great to start the year so maybe now that's not necessarily the same as next year when he's theoretically on expiring contract if there hasn't been an extension there um and you know that's buddy heald's value is probably an extreme of that of how it is how it has ebbed and flowed over time since that extension um so i you know like 
the thing that I always say there is it depends on it depends on what's actually on the table. And with Barnes, like I thought it was worth it to consider going at to consider trading him. I mean, and, and like, but I don't know, like Boston's the one I brought up all the time. Like, I don't know if Boston actually made the kind of offer that would make Sacramento think about it. And that's the t- tough thing about a trade that never happens is we don't really know what else was on the table unless we get really lucky and get some source reporting. All right. Thanks for that. Let's uh, sorry. Anything else to add there? Uh, shell boy before we go oh no i just uh i was thinking that part of fox's struggles might also be explained by just not having there's so many point guards on the roster and then now barnes is playing so well and buddy's obviously going to shoot the show of the ball so he just looks kind of frustrated it kind of feels like he might get really upset here soon and so i was kind of part of the part of the reason the question too yeah a lot of guys seem to be struggling this year somewhat unaccountably so hopefully it, that will resolve james you're on let's uh let's bring you in here how you doing james doing well glad to glad to be on with you guys yeah great to have you what do you got for us so I have a question about uh, foul foul metrics. I think a lot of the Warriors' success was almost on defense was in spite of Bazemore and Ubre and their uh, often ability to foul. I know there's free throw attempt rate, but besides that, are there any other metrics that you guys look at when it comes to kind of how fouling either total fouls or fouling at the run can kind of improve defense versus what's noise for being on the floor at the right time so uh, explain what you're saying here so you're saying the idea that committing more fouls improves your defense or like in and of itself or that it merely correlates with better defense so there's fouling at the wrong time as in the last two minutes which automatically trigger the bonus or getting into the bonus earlier which leads to more free throws which reduces defensive efficiency but i was just wondering if there's anything that you guys look at to remove the noise of players versus team performance off the cuff i don't think that there's anything that i look at um statistically but you know that's one of the benefits of just watching a lot as you can kind of see because you can see things like foul rate per 36 and everything else and like trying to watch teams enough that you can get a sense of that but it is it is so hard like i mean you could even go the other way like there was this argument i remember for uh there was a point with the nuggets where we nate and i were talking about how the nuggets defense was bad and they're like look how low their foul rate is it's like well sometimes you're too far away or you're doing things in a certain way we're not doing it so almost all of these things are it's too kind of fraught to rely too much on on just like a on a thing now maybe there i'm sure there are people that are smarter than i am that have figured out a way to kind of sort out good fouls from bad fouls and um i but i think that overall it it can be really difficult to parse statistically um yeah i guess one thing that i could add i mean you make a good point there danny in the idea of you're not even close enough to foul these guys and so I, i think you can combine it with what type of shots are you giving up and i do think there's something to be said for the idea that you know because like those spurs defenses and the bucks defenses one of the hallmarks when they're running well was they've got all these big guys they're protecting the rim very well they're not giving up shots at the rim and they're not fouling very much as well so i think sometimes not fouling can be a symptom uh more than a cause 
of good defense to where you're just your defense isn't being put in compromising positions where you have to foul uh obviously just teaching so you verticality is is important and you know, keeping your hands off guys in the perimeter like that 2017 series where the spurs played houston it, it was so obvious that they're being taught to not get their hand in the cookie jar and 2017 was basically the worst that it ever was in terms of the kind of bullshit foul drawing by harden and lou williams um but i do think that i would actually say that committing off-ball fouls particularly on the perimeter i don't i i don't have a way to parse the data enough to get that granular with it but it wouldn't surprise me if that's something especially when you're not in the penalty that would correlate with good defense just because it means you're being more physical on the perimeter you care you know doug mcdermott is not going to be committing a bunch of fouls off the ball like trying to get physical with a guy and get over a screen on him right now for guys who are getting posted up under the rim and committing an off-ball foul that way that i would say probably wouldn't correlate but i do think there's a little bit something to the idea of teams that are just providing more pressure on the perimeter that those fouls that come from that which we don't have a great way at least with public data to parse it wouldn't shock me if that correlated with better defense so sorry if that's not as an exact an answer as as you may have been looking for there but i I hope that was at least some useful thoughts well and james one other thing i wanted to add i just looked this up on clean the glass because i was interested um and you were thinking more on the individual level which is of course harder to harder to measure some of these things um but of the teams with the five the five lowest opponent free throw rate so that's the way clean the glass does it has a lot of a lot of people do it of the top five lowest opponent rates two of those teams were top 10 defenses utah and milwaukee including the number one and then three of those five were were 20s defenses you had charlotte okc and orlando and and so it's really interesting how you kind of parse that and then when you go to the teams that fouled the most that had the highest opponent free throw three throw rate we had you had golden state at five boston at 16 washington at, or sorry boston at 12 washington at 16 toronto at 19 and minnesota at 27 so you had a real mix there of the teams that fouled a ton some were successful defenses like the Warriors others were distinctly not no thank you guys I appreciate the time I think it's a it's a interesting uh to look at how it impacts the game and I guess I still does have quite a bit of value at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a three-point at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at Bet 365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1 800 Gambler. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, Hashim, you are in. What's going on, Hashim? Hey, guys. Um, I had a question about um, James Harden. We saw he turned down the extension, presumably to get an extra year uh, in the offseason. But given his start and kind of how he's looked physically, how much pause, let's say you were running the Nets, how much pause would you have about giving him uh, a max deal next summer? Well, are we assuming that he's just going to play the same way all year? I guess I assume he he improves, you know, uh, he gets back on track. Maybe it's not this bad, but I guess we're seeing how bad it could be if he's not in the right shape or if he, you know, doesn't age well. Yeah, it's going to be tough because surely they already offered him the four-year max extension. And perhaps you could come back with that and try to put a non-guarantee on the last year that maybe triggers with a championship, something along those lines. It's very hard once you've made an offer to a player to come back on it, unless something huge happens where, you know, he suffers really like an altering injury or or something like that. But they've already, they've got Kevin Durant under contract, although guys can always agitate 
hesitate to get out and they don't really we'll see how he plays you know if he's let's say he plays like the you know the number 15 player in the nba this year which i that probably would be about what i would guess he's going to end up given what we've seen from him so far this year and the normal aging curve no i wouldn't feel particularly good about that and i might even try to negotiate some just based on the fact that there isn't anywhere else that has max cap space where he would want to go this offseason but ultimately you can only go so far with that particularly if you've already made the offer and they've gone all in on this super team they already traded and that's the other thing to remember too is they've traded literally everything that they could to get him and with that being the case they are they are kind of pot committed at this point it it seems like so yeah maybe you try to negotiate and maybe get a little protection on that fifth year or something but i just don't think it's realistic to go for less than that and you're just you're hoping that he holds out for the first couple years of that and hey you know what those last few years we always knew those were going to suck anyway so what does it matter yeah I, i think the harden deal is somewhat similar to baseball contracts and so one of the you know like these long guys albert pujols is the one that i think of partially because he's been relevant this postseason amazingly enough is the idea so in baseball you have these contracts that are really negative at the at towards the end of it and i think that's that can be a um that can be a challenge, but you you hope that they're making up for it. What's scary for the for the Nets is that this is Harden's age thirty two season. Like the, it could it could go a different way, and it's part of why the NBA's salary structure, where you can only get the the highest max when you've had this much experience, and almost all those guys are either in their prime at that moment or already past it. But in some ways, that doesn't matter because Brooklyn is in this compromised situation, and so you kind of have to play the card play the card you have. And, and Nate's point about how it's hard to take an offer off the table is a really good one you know like these are human beings that chose you know like kevin durant yes kevin durant's not under contract maybe you can making him mad like he's not gonna force that's not the way this usually works so as long as ownership is willing to foot the bill and it also will get more palatable in time just because we expect the salary cap to rise so like maybe they get sort of saved by the bell in a certain sense that it just this horrendous tax bill reduces because they can't really add to it but you know, if we were playing this like Machiavellian style and you could say like, what is, what would I think is fair for Harden and what would I try to do in a, in a world where personal feelings didn't matter? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to give him this full max contract. Gotcha. Yeah. I was just, it's just, uh, I'm a Nets fan. So it's a little concerning to think what, you know, 35 year old Harden's going to look like. Um, and also I was, I was one who asked last week about your favorite Simpsons references. I just wanted a follow-up. Do you guys have a definitive answer or I don't ah! know who's from the, yeah. the, the shriek, the Homer shriek, I think. <laughs> It was it was funny. Nate and I Nate and I talked about just organically within the pod that we did that night. I used ex- explain how, and I do love that. Like it's a good and what's one of the things that's great about it is that it it is, it is basic enough that people who have never seen it can kind of still understand that it comes from something and everything else, which I, I do appreciate. Uh, another one that's been quite useful lately, given uh, some of the movements that we've seen uh, of late, is just ask this scientician. <laughs> that's that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, that's good. There's the general yeah. ones are good. Yeah, the the twenty dollars buy many peanuts. Most people probably won't understand that. So maybe explain how is is better. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's that's from my wife's favorite episode, which is uh, Lisa the vegetarian. So that uh, the uh, the scientist and that one has just like a ton of ton of awesome references. But yeah, I mean the the cowardly scream is probably the most useful, uh, particularly with uh, some of the teams uh, that and contracts that we have to discuss at times. Um, all right, thanks, Ashin. That was great. And let's get Glenn in. Glenn, how you doing? 
I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Hey, I wanted to push back a little bit about your uh, comments about uh, the coaching in the last night's Sixers Blazers game. I okay. Think, yeah, I think that the experimentation of having the four out with Nance at center, I thought was the right move at the time because when you're a young coach, the time to experiment is game nine in the regular season. So the fact that it didn't work last night, largely because the Blazers couldn't make a shot, I think was relatively irrelevant to the coach decision. I think um, I think I like seeing Bill doing some experimentation, which is one of the reasons I think uh, – the Blazers getting rid of Stotts last year was a good move because he wasn't very good at experimenting. Yeah, I, I agree with you on the experimentation, but I also would like my experimentation to have a thesis on why it's going to work. And so to be clear, Nance at center, I think, Danny, you you and I both are in favor of them going that way quite yes. a bit. And I think we even said that on the show in the first half. Um, where we took issue, and, and I'm sorry if this didn't come through accurately enough, was in going with Simons at the three and Powell at the four. That that was, I think you can play four out by going with Covington there and Nance at the five, uh, rather because it ju- there just was not nearly enough defense. Simons was getting targeted on every play. And, and I would also... I agree that they, you know, their shooting wasn't amazing, but it's 35% from three. It wasn't terrible. Uh, I thought it was giving up a 123 offensive rating to a Sixers team missing four starters. That was more of the problem. And I thought Simons was a big part of that. So I just wanted to clarify my position on that. Uh, but generally being in favor of experimentation, yes, I just didn't see that one. I was just, you look at that and it's like, man, I, I don't see how you're going to, how this can really be a lineup that is viable on, on the defensive side of the floor. But are, are we talking past each other a little bit, Glenn? What are you, what's your reaction to that? Well, I think, well, maybe a little bit, but uh, the thing about it is I'm, I've never been a big Anfari Simons fan, but you know, at least last night he was rolling pretty good on the offensive end last night. So leaving him in, I could, I could see the justification for that, but um Go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry, Glenn. Um, what I was thinking about, and it's funny because you're not a. We don't have. We need kind of need a Simon's fan in here to maybe to balance this a little bit because we have three three less effusive people. Let's put it that way. Was part of what what was hard about having Simon's out there is that it didn't really appear that he was knew what was. I don't know if know what was going on or had internalized. Like there were a bunch of a bunch of switches where there was a miscommunication or a misidentification, and that's hard. And I mean, Simon's is still you know he, he's you you can't be you know this is like the Jason Tatum thing you can't be 19 forever but like it seemed like at least with Simons and it wouldn't be a surprise that it's harder for him than all, all a lot of the other guys that were in these Blazers sets were vets and Simons you know the as you know the Blazers haven't done a lot of switching in his career um but I, I, that was part of the reason why I was also critical was that I, I I mean I'm a big fan of switching I was a big fan of the Nance acquisition in no small part because of that reason and, um but you need players that actually physically and mentally can execute and I agree with you that Simons was an important part of their offensive success in that game, especially with Lillard still admired in maybe the deepest slump of his career. But they had enough guys on the floor to survive without Simons. And if you're given the choice between being able to function defensively, and actually this is the part of Billups going with the switching that I like the most, 
was Philly is a great team to do that against because I didn't trust the guys they had available to create one-on-one. And so that is exactly when you want to go to a switching system where you're turning everybody into an isolation monster and they don't have anybody who really threatens you. Like, I think that that is a, that is a good approach, but if, you, if you're giving up easy shots because the guys can't execute, it doesn't work quite as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on uh, on Simons. I have to close my eyes every time I watch him play defense. But regarding Billups, I mean, I'm, I'm so happy that we didn't hire Jason Kidd that I'm thrilled with anybody at this point. So... <laughs> um, yeah, and I don't think he's been. I don't think he's been bad so far this year. I think. I think he did get out coached yesterday, but I think there's been some times that it's looked pretty good. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch much of the Charlotte game, but you know, I thought that they had a really nice game against the Clippers, and their game against Memphis was pretty good. So I think going to a more aggressive style, I think that has some benefits. And hey, you know, if Dame were just playing well, they'd be looking pretty good at the moment. So I, I think that. He, he, I, the jury's still out on him for, for me I think that he's they do have kind of a fresh idea which they needed I think I do agree that Stotts needed to be replaced I think their defense is better than it was last year in part because they have better personnel but also I think better coaching so yeah I just I, my comments were mostly limited to last night but I did think that and also give Doc Rivers and the Sixers some some credit too there um all right I think that is going to do it for today um oh no let's, do, let's get one more in here let's get uh Ronaldinho Hey guys, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, sir. Uh, I would like to know which are the uh, five players you enjoy the most when watching basketball. Thanks. Uh, okay, I'll give you two right away. John Morant and Steph Curry. Those guys are both going to be in my top five for sure. Um, let, Ke- let me think Kev- Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's going to be in mine just because I'm consistently awed by the the shots that he can get, even against good defenses. That I I grew to appreciate it really. I mean, throughout his Seattle slash OKC career, but like seeing it more consistently in person. Person when he was on the Warriors just because I can be at their games more often that was something that like now and now when I see him like on the Nets that crazy game that he had against Milwaukee and I'm gonna forget which game it was but I believe it was game five of that series um that you know I, I he's still he's still one of my favorites even though he's not the wizard with the with the ball that Jaw and Steph are uh Jokic has got to be in there too absolutely yeah sorry what were you gonna say there yeah do you guys choose uh the players you like to watch the most uh when choosing the games you watch or you just uh watch the ones you want or have to watch mostly the latter yeah i mean we, we don't because of the nature of our job description we don't have typically the latitude to say oh i mean i i think i end up gravitating to to those when i have a little bit more judgment like i watch probably more of the grizzlies than i would than i would otherwise but oftentimes those teams are pretty relevant but the, the challenge of it is that nate and i have 30 teams to keep close enough tabs on that everybody who listens to us and who pays for a dunked on prime subscription thinks that we're that we're doing a good job and so i think that that motivation for the two of us is probably most important but yeah if i have a little bit of free time am i going to try to watch the players and teams i enjoy the most you bet um so the those i I guess i'll throw kd in there so i need one more here um you know i think jalen green may be on that list someday but he's not quite good enough yet I would say oh, for, maybe for me, my, my, is on that list too. For me, my fifth one would be Zion. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's pretty good, but uh, he's also not out there that often, uh, unfortunately. But yeah, I, and I was uh, LeBron used to be on that list for me. I think now his game's a little bit more ground bound than it, it used to be. He shoots a little, little, few more jumpers. Giannis would be in there for me also, but no, I mean, and and also just I, I like to focus on younger players and rookies more too, just because intellectually it's more interesting to me of like 
like I'm still learning more as I'm seeing some of these guys but no there's a lot of great talent in the league right now so uh, excited to watch them the rest of this year and also excited to hear from you all every week at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific. And of course, you can join John Hollinger and I tomorrow. It's a little bit of a different format. He and I do our pod first, and then we'll take questions at the end for 20 or 30 minutes or so. But that's at 2 Eastern, 11 Pacific. So you can join us then as well. And we'll talk to you all again later tonight on Dunktown Prime. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.